Hello and welcome. My name is Danny Carlson. I'm NAESP's Assistant Executive Director for Policy and Advocacy. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. We really hope you're enjoying it. Uh, we've been doing these uh, episodes uh, since this fall, um, and we've uh, had some really, really interesting topics, um, talked to some extraordinary guests, uh, including the one today, which I'll mention to you in a second. I uh, just wanted to uh, uh, remind you that all of our previous episodes of the, uh, of this podcast can be found at www.naesp.org slash advocacy-podcast, advocacy Dash podcast. Uh, from there, you can listen to the episodes right in the browser. Uh, but we'd also encourage you to subscribe to the podcast by clicking on the black Apple podcast button, which is right on the page. Uh, subscribing to the podcast means you'll get each new episode loaded directly onto your podcast app on your phone. Uh, that way, you never miss an episode. Uh, and if you could take a minute to rate and review the podcast on iTunes as well, we'd really appreciate that as well. Now on to our guests for today. Arnie Duncan is our guest, uh, and you'll hear that episode in just a minute. Uh, he, of course, needs no introduction, uh, but we had a really interesting conversation about a number of uh, uh, topics, uh, including uh, equity, school safety, and, of course, the important role that uh, principals play in schools. Um, and he talked about his work with uh, working with principals um, in Chicago um, and, and how, of course, they're, um, they're so key to turning around low-performing schools. So he talked about that experience, uh, including um, um, bringing uh, former President Obama to a school um, in Chicago. So uh, he talked about that story, which was really interesting. As always, Mr. Duncan was insightful and had a ton of interesting things to say. So I hope you enjoy this episode. With us now, we have former Secretary of Education, Arnie Duncan. Mr. Duncan, of course, served as Secretary of Education under President Barack Obama from 2009 to 2015. Prior to that, he served as CEO of Chicago Public Schools from 2001 to 2008. Mr. Secretary, uh, thanks for being on the NAESP Advocacy Podcast. Thanks for having me, and please call me Arnie. <laughs> Will do, will do. Uh, we're, uh, we're, we're thrilled to have you. I've, I've been looking forward to have you on uh, for some time and, and getting your perspective on um, certainly a, a, an array of issues, but uh, specifically those issues facing principals. Uh, and especially want to hear your thoughts on um, how you think we uh, should move forward on, on some tough issues we're, we're facing in schools uh, across the country, uh, which at times can feel intractable. Uh, but you know, how, how you think principals can be, uh, you know, key levers for change in these areas. Before we, we do that, though, I want to first start with your, your trajectory. Uh, as I mentioned, you, of course, led Chicago Public Schools in the early 2000s, uh, and then you became Secretary of Education. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about that. How did your experience as CEO of Chicago Public Schools shape you for your role as Secretary? Well, I'll try and back up a little bit that I grew up working um, and just actually a part, uh, participant, a part of my mother's inner city after school tutoring program. And she raised my sister and brother and I as a part of that. And that was absolutely formative of all tried to follow in her footsteps in various ways. And she did that work for about 52 years until her health get out, um, her health gave out. Um, my first real job after playing basketball was running I Have a Dream program. Um, we actually worked out of the same church basement as my mother and my sister and I did that. And for six years, our job was to work with those those uh, 40 students and their, their brothers and sisters and their families from sixth through 12th grade. 
Um, during that time, we started our own small public school in the neighborhood, Aerial Community Academy, because the, the community did not have a, a quality public school there. And then I had the opportunity to go work at CPS. And the, the math of it was interesting. We started with our averaging program with, with 40 students. And um, our, our school, we started just with pre-K and K, but eventually it went through pre-K through eight. And when, it, when all the grades were there, that would have been 400 students. Um, but CPS had 400,000 students. And so the, the scale of that was just really hit me. And I was like, you can, you can have you know, important impact from the outside, but if you really want to have impact at scale, you've got to go inside. Mm -hmm. And I uh, loved, I was there for, for 10 years um, as CEO for seven and a half. And honestly, the only job on the planet I would have left Chicago for was a chance to work for the president in, uh, in D.C. I, I loved what I did Chicago, didn't want to leave. We had young kids at the time, but uh -huh. it was obviously beyond a once in a lifetime opportunity. Absolutely. So what are some, I mean, uh, of course, there's, there's a lot of issues, you, you know, you, you faced in, in Chicago, but what are some of the ones that kind of sort of stick out in terms of things that you really had as sort of formative uh, experiences, whether it was, you know, challenges around, you know, closing schools or, or you know, all of, all of those things or, or sort of maybe other successes? Well, you know, what were some things that really stuck out that, that you well, really loved? Lot, lots of lessons, and most of them, you know, I honestly go back to my upbringing with my mother, and she always said, you know, get to the babies as early as you can and start where they are. And so a huge focus on early childhood education, um, really trying to have, you know, high standards. We were able to double the number of kids taking and passing AP classes. Um, Chicago, you may have recently seen um, a set of Stanford researchers have uh, said it's the fastest improving school district in the country. It still has a long, long way to go. We've had about 15 years of increasing graduation rates. But I, I always sort of focus on a couple things on, on equity, which for me are, you know, things like after school programs, things like, you know, you know, pre-K for three and four year olds, um, excellence, you know, great principals, great teachers, recruiting talent, putting that talent into the most underserved communities, thinking about how technology can help, but just trying to create opportunities. And what I told my staff was, while well, I was thrilled, we doubled the number of, of students taking and passing AP classes, that was a real, you know, a real sign of improvement. The honest truth is that our students weren't twice as smart. What we had actually done is just increase opportunity mm -hmm. and understand that by definition, historically, kids were locked out from those kinds of things. And um, our, our student population in Chicago was, you know, 85% below the poverty line, 90% minority students. So when we say who's locked out, it's basically you know, black and brown students. And we see that, you know, too many places around the country. So, uh, you know, proud of the progress, but always you want more, you want to get better and faster, and you really are trying to fight to give kids a chance in life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you mentioned something there about um, Chicago Public Schools, um, especially recently, and in, in just kind of this, um, these incredible results that have that they've been seeing over the past few years. Um, and if you look at kind of, the, you know, the research on that and, and, and some of those programs, of course, the, the role of the sort of the, you know, the principal in that in, in these schools is, is, is of course, just uh, critical. Uh, so I want to get your kind of perspective just on kind of big picture. What do you, how do you think about uh, the role of the principal in kind of this K-12 ecosystem? You've both as um, as secretary, as as you traveled around the country, but also in Chicago, but sort of how do you think about, you know, school leaders and sort of their capacity to um, advance quality teaching? Yeah, well, I've loved working with your organization over the years and love speaking at your, your conferences because <laughs> I just think, I don't, I shouldn't say I think, I know um, there's no such thing as a great school without a great principal. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And whether it was visiting hundreds of schools across Chicago during my time here, whether it was you know hundreds and hundreds of schools in all 50 states uh, it, when I was in D.C., um, I saw schools that were you know okay. I saw schools that were mediocre. I saw schools that honestly broke your heart sometimes. And I saw schools that were just extraordinary. And every single extraordinary school had extraordinary leadership. And education is no different than, you know, business or nonprofits or government leadership matters and principals are CEOs and the impact they have, it's hard to overstate. So anything you're trying to do to improve school systems or to improve student achievement or to have impact, um, you cannot do that without extraordinary leadership um, from your most important CEOs. And that's, that's your, that's your principles. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and how about just on um, sort of, you know, turnaround and, and sort of low performing schools? What, did, what were some of your experiences and with that? Yeah. And, and turning around schools is really, really tough, difficult work, but there's a group called the Academy of Urban School Leadership, AUSL in Chicago, that's been, you know, started with me years ago and they have, you know, maybe 25, 30 schools now. And it's a combination of bringing in, yes, extraordinary principals, but also extraordinary teachers and really seeing this as mission-driven work to go into the, the, the toughest communities and uh, stay with the work for the long haul. So, again, education is like everything else. Talent matters tremendously. Mm-hmm. And if we give the kids, you know, from the, the poorest communities, the most violent communities, you know, access to extraordinarily committed teachers and, and wonderful, you know, instructional leaders and principals, um, then you can get much better results than if you have mediocre talent in that beat in that in, in those buildings and i took president obama this is when i was still in chicago and he was at that point senator obama i took him to one of our turnaround schools on on the west side and he just couldn't he couldn't believe the difference in outcomes you know same children same buildings same socioeconomic challenges same neighborhoods same families wildly different results and he just stayed and kept asking questions and kept asking questions to the staff. And one of the teachers um, who was there previously in, in state because she was so talented, um, she said in the past we referred to them as those kids, those kids, mm. and now we call them our kids. Mm. And that's always stuck with both of us. And it's a, it's, maybe it's a subtle thing, but it's actually not. It's a huge deal. And it's got to be about our kids. Mm. No, that's great. That's powerful. Uh, good plug there for uh, – Shadow visits, which is something we always encourage our members to do, to ask their member of Congress, their mayor, their governor, whoever, just to come visit their school. And it's 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 sort of one thing to talk about your school, but it's another thing to have someone come in and no, feel you, it and experience you, it. You got to see it. You got to see it. That's the only way I learn. You got to see it. You got to touch it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, spe- since we're on the on the topic of uh, of turnaround, uh, wanted to get your 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 thoughts on um, sort of school improvement grants. Um, these have been, well, they've been in the news for a while, but uh, there's been a couple kind of recent uh, news items on them and this question of whether or not they worked. Uh, just a reminder for folks, these were, uh, I believe it was, was it 2009, uh, I believe that they were, uh, were first developed um, at the Department of Ed. And these were these um, kind of sizable grants that, that went to low performing schools. Um, and there was a kind of a, a set of options that uh, schools uh, could kind of go through. But what's your, what's your kind of top line you know, take on. Yeah, well, I think the results were, were mixed. And I will, you know, as I just said earlier, turning around school is extraordinarily difficult. I was thrilled we were able, and money is never ever the solution by itself to anything. And let me be very clear about that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, additional resources for 
know, summer programs, for Saturday programs, for after school programs, for bringing in more social workers and counselors and others where, where students are really struggling, um, that makes a difference. And I visited dozens of turnaround schools and you could you could feel the difference and you know, I remember one school with a young girl saying that she was literally like terrified to go to school like terrified because it was so unsafe and um, that school had actually become a school of choice that had a waiting list and that was over like two years and so this work is hard it's difficult it's even more difficult at the high school level but there are remarkable stories of communities saying um, our children deserve better and if we're serious about breaking cycles of poverty and social failure, the only way to do it is give those kids who historically, those, those children, those communities who historically have not received the best, to give them the absolute best. And so, um, again, not, not every place was a success. Not every school was a, a success. But I would make that investment again tomorrow. And the, the, other, the other option is you, you give up on those kids and you give up on those communities. Mm-hmm. And you just say the status quo, you know, let's just perpetuate the status quo. Um, and that's never, never going to be an acceptable answer for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, you mentioned it uh, earlier, but this, this sort of issue of, of equity, I know it's something that's deeply uh, important to you. Um, it's, also, it's also a, a buzzword that gets thrown around in education policy circles. Um, what does equity mean to you? Yeah, it's a good question. I'll try and give a a, a succinct answer. I'll just first say there's a big difference in my mind between equal and equitable. Mm -hmm. And equal for me is giving every child the same thing. And some people think that's the goal. Um, I would argue that equal is wildly insufficient. And some kids need school six hours a day. Some kids need school eight, 10, 12 hours a day. Some school, some kids might need kids school 14 hours a day. And if, you know, if, uh, my kids aren't particularly artistic, but if, but if my kids wanted to, you know, do ballet lessons or piano lessons, my wife and I could figure that out. Um, not every kid has, has a family that can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran a Chicago public schools. We served tens of thousands of kids, three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, we worried about kids not eating on the weekends. So we had a couple thousand kids where we very quietly, very discreetly sent them home with backpacks full of food on Friday afternoons just to try and make sure they, they could come back to school Monday, you know, not with a stomach growl and able to concentrate. Um, we got tens of thousands of kids, eyeglasses and dental exams. And so for me, the goal is never equal. The goal is equity. What does every child need to be successful? And that's going to look very, very different, you know, community by community, school by school, and child by child. And I think for far too long in education, we've had just a a standard model that we delivered to everybody (laughs) and sort of thought that was good enough. And I would argue that's wildly, it has long been wildly insufficient but it's more insufficient today than, than ever before. We have to really figure out what students need in terms of access to great teachers, access to technology, more time, maybe eyeglasses, maybe dental exams, more food, more social workers, and to give every child a chance to fulfill their extraordinary academic potential. So the goal for me, to be clear, is never equal. The goal is equitable. Hmm. So the state's district schools that are kind of adjusting equity, moving the needle on it, what are they doing that maybe other places aren't? 
Yeah, again, there's no simple answers. This stuff is very complex. I'll always go back to early childhood education. It's making sure that the children who are most in need get off to a good start. And if that doesn't happen, we know the average child from a disadvantaged community starts kindergarten a year to 18 months behind. And the dirty secret in education is they often don't catch up. You know, we never catch them up. And you can draw a line from those students who start behind to those that eventually drop out. So I'll always start there. But where people are doing creative things with time, uh, with talent and with technology, I sort of go to you know go to those three T's mm. and making sure those students who need access to the best teachers, who need you know more time, more after school programs, more extracurriculars, um, have access to blended learning and technology. Um, those are the places where you're seeing um, outsized results. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, we've only got you here for a couple more minutes. So I wanted to ask one more issue before kind of closing up: uh, school safety. Uh, it's of course uh, been in the news. Well, it's been been front and center here for a couple of years for the wrong reasons. But uh, wh- how do we? What do we do? How do we ensure that that schools are safe, welcoming, and violence-free environments for all students? Yeah. So uh, a, a couple things, and I always try to be very honest. So the first thing for me is, what are we doing on the prevention side? What are we doing with counselors and social workers? And if a kid is acting out or has a problem, if we're just suspending them or expelling them or calling the cops, then we're actually uh, perpetuating the school to prison pipeline. And people don't always like when I talk about that, but that continues to be real. And we know particularly black and brown boys are always, always disproportionately, you know, shunted to the side and pushed to the side. And um, so that that has to stop. And so if a child is acting out, let's... um, you know, let's figure out what the problem is and let's work with them and let's work with a family and figure out what's, what's causing that, that, that stress or that anxiety that, uh, that then manifests itself in the students acting out. Now, so we can either deal with the symptom of the problem or we can deal with the root cause. Mm-hmm. And so I would start there. Um, the second thing I'll say, and, you know, I'm pretty radical on this and some of your members or many of your members may not agree, but we have a gun violence problem in America and schools are not immune. And the violence happens um, tragically, yes, in schools. And I've spent a lot of time with those schools that were had horrific massacres. But this violence, a tiny percent of it happens in schools. Schools are generally the safest places in communities. And as we all know, tragically, this violence happens in malls and shopping centers and concerts and movie theaters and bars and barbershops in, in churches. Mm-hmm. And so our nation's obsession with guns puts everyone in jeopardy. Uh, adults and yes, tragically, children. And I'm, I spend uh, a huge amount of my time working with young people and, and families um, on the south and west side of Chicago now, just desperately impacted by violence. And the level of trauma and fear that kids are growing up with is stunning. So I, I think schools do an amazing job, but our society has um, a love affair with guns where, and I've said this publicly, I think we love our guns more than we love our children. And we have a level of violence that's wildly higher than other nations, Canada, Australia, Japan, England, I can go right down the list. And those other nations value their children, value their lives, value their safety, want them to grow up free of fear and trauma in ways that we just lack political courage. And it it, it breaks my heart. Appreciate that. Uh, Let's close up. I got a couple of uh, quick fire questions for you. Uh, Looking back at as your time, as Secretary of Education, what are you, uh, I guess you could answer this two ways, either what are you most proud of or 
anything you wish you would have pushed harder on in terms of issue area? Yeah, lots of things. Proud of, proud to put more than a billion dollars behind early childhood education and get a couple hundred thousand more children access. Proud that we got high school graduation rates to all-time highs. Proud to get an additional forty billion dollars for Pell grants. It went from six million to nine million Pell recipients without going back to taxpayers for a nickel. But always feel we didn't begin to do enough, and um, you know, so would have liked to have, you know pushed harder in all those areas. Um, other areas where I feel we failed, again, I'll say I know we failed, was one getting any kind of immigration reform done, which would have meant financial aid for Dreamers. And the fact that we weren't able to get any federal financial aid for Dreamers is you know is, is devastating to me. And then the issue we just touched on of, of school safety. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my toughest day in D.C., President Obama's toughest day in D.C., and he dealt, by definition, with the hardest, you know, issues on the planet every single day was the day of the Sandy Hook massacre. Mm-hmm. And he, he went down that day and the vice president and I went down, you know, two or three days later. And none of us in our worst nightmares ever imagined, you know, 20 babies and five teachers and a, and a principal you know, being slaughtered. And I went to that principal's funeral, just an amazing family. And the fact that we got nothing done in terms of common sense gun legislation afterwards is, a, is um, I would argue, our, our biggest failure. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's still, uh, Sandy Hook is still, is still present and um, very, very tough. Um, yeah, well, thanks for, thanks for that. Uh, what you, uh, switching gears um, off, of, off of that, um, you have a, a book that that you recently released. You didn't ask uh, me to promote this or plug this, but I I, I read it and I wanted to I wanted to to let folks know that uh, um, it's called How Schools Work: uh, An Inside Account of Failure and Successes from one of the nation's nation's longest serving secretaries of education. Um, I'm not going to ask you to give a recap of the book, uh, but your fir- the the first the the first chapter is titled Lies Lies Everywhere. Um, and in fact, the, the first sentence is, education runs on lies. Uh, why, did you, why did you write that? Um, it's maybe a little controversial, but I try and be honest, and that's what I believe. And I'll just quickly, you know, uh, give you three, I think, pretty, pretty tough lies. Um, again, start right where we ended. Um, we all say we value children. We value their lives, but we don't protect them. And so I, I, I listen to people's words, but I look at their actions. And other nations have taken a whole series of actions to protect their children and keep them safe and free of fear that we, that we don't do. Um, we say we value teachers and principals, but we underpay them. And I've argued very publicly, I would love to double teacher salaries. I would love to double or triple principal salaries and you know, really make this externally difficult and hard and complex, but hugely, hugely important and rewarding profession, make it a true profession. And we don't invest in, in, in teachers and principals the way that we should. We don't value them the way that we should. And then finally, we all say we care about education, but nobody votes on education. No one's held accountable for education. In the midterm, 6% of people vote on that. And for me, I want every mayor, I want every governor, I want every you know, congressman and senator, you know, what are you doing to close achievement gaps? What are you doing to raise graduation rates? What are you doing to increase access to high-quality pre-K? What are you doing to better support teachers and principals? Um, every principal loves photo ops. They love, I mean, I'm sorry, every politician loves, loves uh, you know, uh, photo ops with kids and going to schools and visiting, but 
no one's held accountable for results. And it's shame on us as voters, not on politicians. So those are just three very quick where we say certain things and maybe we actually believe those things. But when I look at our actions, um, it's dishonest. It's not mm-hmm. honest. It's a lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's really helpful. I encourage everyone to go check it out. It's a really, really good book. Um, let's close with this. Uh, we have um, a big membership base. We have thousands of principals across the country. Uh, they are um, very passionate folks. Uh, they're also very, very, very busy folks. Uh, and so when we talk about thinking about, you know, advocacy and sort of in, in you know, to engage in, in this world, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a challenge sometimes just, just, just even in sort of the course of the day, but what's your advice to, to, to how principals can kind of elevate their voice and, and ensure that um, what's happening in DC at their state capital um, is reflecting the realities of the ground, um, you know, in their school. Yeah. Well, that, that's a great question to close on Danny. First, before I try and answer it, let me just say thank you. And like I said, I just, uh, I'm so deeply, deeply appreciative as an educator, as a parent, for the extraordinary hard work and commitment and leadership of and passion of, of principles. And I've seen it every day all my life. And it's just what I, you know, in, in the book, I tell some stories of some amazing, amazing principles um, because they, they, they moved me so much. So I'll first say thank you. And secondly, I mean, you're right. Everyone's too busy. Everyone's stressed. Everyone has a lot of demands on them. But I do think, obviously, that's why organizations like yours are so important to help on the advocacy side. I do think we have to challenge systems that don't work. And we can't just rely on heroic principles and, you know, isolated success stories. Um, you know, why, why doesn't every child in our country have access to pre-K? You know, why don't we pay teachers and principals more? Um, why do we deny dreamers access to college? Um, why don't we keep our children safe and our families safe from, from gun violence when other countries absolutely do that? Um, principles are not just respected. I think they are often revered in society. And so, yes, maybe it's asking to do some things, but I think if some of these systems worked better, um, not only would principles' lives be easier, but our children's lives would be so much better. So I, you know, I strongly urge, you know, again, at the local level, at the state level, at the national level, um, if principals' voices aren't heard, um, nobody wins there. No one wins in that situation. And these issues are hard and complex, and, you know, every principal's not going to agree, and it's hard to get consensus on this stuff. But I do think there's some overarching themes that people could come together in a much more powerful way, um, change our country's priorities and change our investments. Absolutely. Raise our aspirations. Raise our aspirations for ourselves and for for our schools, and again, most importantly, for our, for our kids. Absolutely, absolutely. That's really insightful and uh, and really really critical in 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 sort of think about all the all the debates swirling around education right now. Um, so really really appreciate that. Well, this has been really really uh, you know a deeply fascinating conversation. I've I've learned a, a lot here in just a few minutes just, just chatting with you. So thanks for, again for coming on. I know you're incredibly busy and working on a ton of initiatives. So <laughs> appreciate you, you know, uh, you taking the time to share your perspectives and insights. Um, and thanks for your service. You were, um, you were, you served, uh, for a long time, both as, um, CEO of, of Chicago public schools, but as a secretary of education as well. And I know you've uh, continued those, those efforts in your post, uh, post-secretary life. Uh, but, but yeah, I just really appreciate your service. Well, I'll do it again tomorrow. It's an absolute privilege. So thank, thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity. You as well. All right. Thanks so much.
Take care. Have a great day. Thanks now. Thank you. Bye-bye.